Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys, and you can check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, if you want to send me an email, check, uh, ask me a question, make a comment, or a suggestion, you can email me at SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. Well, today I'm speaking with someone who's not even in the United States. They're all the way across the seas in Senegal. Don't you love technology, man? So she has written four novels. She's been nominated for the 2010 Commonwealth Writers Prize. She was shortlisted for the Kwani Manuscript Project. Uh, we're going to be talking about her fourth book today, The Deep Blue Between. I'm going to be speaking with Aisha Haruna Atta. So that's, well, for you, it's like, what, five hours ahead, Aisha, right? Uh, four hours ahead. Four hours yeah. ahead. Okay, four hours but ahead. Three, yes, three yes. Okay, good, good afternoon to you then. <laughs> good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you again for, um, you know, being willing to, willing to do the interview. You have a great book. Um, like I said earlier before we came on air, you know, it says it's for young adults, but I think adults need to read it, especially um, African-American adults um, here in America may not be as familiar with the history that's in the book. Um, I myself learned so much. How long did it take you to write the book? book was incredibly fast. It took me um, maybe three months to write it down, and then I had to rewrite. So a whole year from beginning to end. But I have to say that the characters were not new. When I started writing this book, I already knew who they were because they came from my third book, The Hundred Worlds of Falaga, which took six years to write. Mm. So this book sort of piggybacks off that one. And a lot of the research I'd already done for the other books. So there are two books that speak to each other. And um, so, yes, I had, wait, I had questions to answer just because it took so fast to write and you had to write off of the other book. 
So, yeah, I don't know. Either six years or one year, depending on the way you look at it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. We're going to say one year. That means you're a genius and that you're just, like, so cool and you can do, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah. So um, in your other book, um, The Hundred Wealth of Salaga, that also had two women characters, right, as well, two two women it that is. were the main characters. Yeah. And, um you know, in this one, you have two women as well, again, main characters, even though these two women are related as opposed to the other ones, they weren't related. Exactly. Um, talk to us about this um, significance of twins in even your culture, Ghanaian culture, um, and in Nigerian culture, because most of the play takes place in terms of Africa and Nigeria. It also takes place in Brazil. But in terms of... Um, Ghana and um, Nigeria, what's the significance of twins in those uh, varying cultures? It varies from place to place, but there's a, it hits even closer home because my name is Aisha Haruna Atta, and Atta means twin. So mm. I come from a family of twins. Yeah. Wow. And my father's grandfather was a twin married to a twin. And in almost every generation, there's so many twins in my family. So I didn't even have to look that far. I'm just surrounded by twins. So um, in homage to that, in almost every single work of mine, there's something to do with twins. And then in this book, I finally took it one step further and decided to like, just stay with them and see what that would be like. And my sister has twin boys, and um, I feel like I'm the second mother. Like, she was the person I was able to see uh, how a child grows with, and they were twins. So mm. that was really marked by that and, like, how cool we're even at such a young age. And then outside of that, like, Yoruba culture has a lot to do with, um, I think that's where you find the highest concentration of twins in the world. Um, I don't know what the statistics are, but in, in this part of Nigeria, you have a very high concentration of twins. And um, it carries over also into the Ga culture, um, which during the festival, they celebrate twins. And there's a lot of reverence for twins because there's a feeling that they can bring good things for, for you. They signify abundance. But there are also places where twins were a bad omen. So it varies from place to place. Um, there isn't one overarching twin story. And then in Yoruba culture, there are also the twin deities, um, Ibeji. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there isn't one particular aspect. Sometimes they're good things, sometimes they're not. Um, yeah, for me, yeah. it was just because I'm, my name means twin as well. So I've always Well, one thing. of your characters, she, she actually tries to hold back telling people that she's a twin um, because of that mm-hmm. issue that, you know, she doesn't know how they're going to take it or not. And um, exactly. And then also, you know, she's just dealing with um, – in the book, she kind of gets separated, you know, from, from her twin, so she's trying to deal with that. Um, one of the things that is really amazing and, and so much that I learned is the connection that you write about between Brazil and Nigeria. I mean, I found out that um, Brazil has, like, you know, an embassy there and a consulate. Um, they were invited to a lot of um, Nigerian um, events and things. The, the politicians from Brazil, there's a strong connection Talk to the audience and explain why that is yeah. so. So there's a lot of movement of people during the transatlantic slave trade, trade from this region of the world. Um, 
this is Nigeria from Benin, Togo, Ghana, to places like Bahia. Um, also, there was movement from Angola to I think more like Rio and um, southern Brazil. But what was interesting about Bahia in particular was that the movement was not unidirectional. People started going back after, I think it was the 1820s. There were a number of things that led to um, this movement back. One of them was the Mali Revolt, where people, mostly from... Most well, Yoruba and Hausa, right? Yes, um, yeah. were, were said to be implicated in running revolts and interactions. So I think at some point there was actually a, a, a move for people to move back to the continent. So, um, so some people did this not voluntarily, and then some people started doing it voluntarily, moving back and forth between both coasts. And that's something I didn't know before I moved to, I, I, I visited Bahia, I did an, um, a residency, a residency there for two okay. months, and it was mind-blowing. I always thought it was just people left and didn't come back, but in, in this case, they did. And what that did was it, it was part of the reason why there's such a, a strong Yoruba culture in Brazil today, because mm-hmm. in that back-and-forth move, they were building a new culture for themselves. So even that Yoruba identity came about because of this movement, I think people thought of themselves as like individual groups, but there wasn't like an umbrella over them until this movement started. Um, so it was fascinating to me because in all of my education, it was just, you know, brothers and sisters were sent across the ocean and didn't come back. And yet there was this story. So I wanted to, to look up what that could have been like. Um, and in both cases, on, on the Brazilian coast, that helps um, African culture thrive a lot more. And then on the West African coast, a lot of Brazilians came back with skills in carpentry, architecture, clothing design. Mm-hmm. So they really influenced um, the way Lagos was cosmopolitan. And even Accra, because there was an Afro-Brazilian community in Accra, and these people would be solicited to make buildings. So the same kind of a tech architecture you see in Lagos and Accra that came from, from, from Brazil, which is You know, super also it's crazy. It, it was so amazing that, that all that came about. And, and I also found out and just, you know, I read, I read the book and then I just always try to do like a little background study of different stuff. And in Portugal, yeah. there's a Lagos, Portugal. I had no yes. idea. And it's yes. like a really yes. popular um, yes. tourist site and everything. And the Portuguese also in Ghana had like in the 15th century even, I read that they had um, – a whole gold, gold. Um, you know, they were uh, transporting gold from Ghana, I mean, um, and it's yes. amazing, right? It, it's just crazy how we're all so interconnected. Yeah, I love. Um, but just saying that a lot of West African names are Portuguese because they were the first to arrive and interact, the first Europeans to arrive on um, our coast, and. They named everything. So whatever names we had, they just put their stamp over it, and they said, we're going to call this the Nunes River. We're going to call this the Volta River. So they mm. came and also put their stamp. Places like Elmina today means the mine. You can guess why, because there was gold there. Um, <laughs> so they definitely came um, and thought they were baptizing places and discovering new places, and yet we've been there forever. Um, but... We also haven't done that work of, you know, tearing those things down yet. 
and I think maybe it's, it's going to come one day, like places called Elmina, like lakes called Volta. Those are all Portuguese words. So, yeah, they go. Yeah. yeah, you so, know, they also, um, that, talking about tearing things down, you know, that's something that we're dealing with over here um, in America right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, the George Floyd incident was a catalyst for all these protests that are happening right now. Um, and um, one of the things that people are fighting about are the Confederate statues, the monuments to Confederate soldiers, um, or even just people that... Mm-hmm. Um, were slaveholders um, and names of army and uh, air, you know, different bases. They want them changed, and it's a really big issue. Yeah. Like I read a story where families are even arguing, like families who are descendants of these people that are, you know, in statues. Some of the families think, yeah, the statue needs to be taken down. It was the person, you know, had their mm-hmm. good points, of course, like all people do. But the idea of to to highlight them. Um, and they had a large uh, uh, connection to slavery or the Confederacy. But they don't. They don't want. And then the other side of the family, right. you know, wants them to be there, and they, you know, value they, that history. They call it. So um, right. one of the things I was reading about is that in Nigeria, uh, the certain section where the Brazilian stayed, there's the architecture like you talked about, but it's being broke, um, torn down, and people are fighting to, mm. to keep it up now. Um, that. Yeah. Uh, that people really there was the one one place the Derocha. You have a character in the book, um, okay. Senior Derocha, and he actually was a real yes. life person. I found out, and he um, had the water house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw an interview with his like great 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 granddaughter. She's like eighty nine though, or something, you know, in real life. Wow. So it was just so right. amazing, and she was so proud, and they, they showed the different buildings in the video. So uh, this book, as I said in before, you said young adults, but I'm an adult, and I didn't know this stuff, so I needed to read this. You know what I'm saying? You know? Yeah, um, like even, even the writing of it for me was a discovery of so many things, just about the way people lived, you know, before – we became colonies. It was so interesting. Um, just luckily that some of these things have been documented because there's so much that's gone um, down in history that we'll have no clue about because the people who did that writing didn't think of those things as important. But um, when I do my research, I really try to um, to look in those places that are sort of you know barely talked about or just you know, slid in as a one-liner. Sometimes it's like I'm looking at an artwork and I'm wondering about the thing that's in the background. So that's, that's how I look at my work. Like, why isn't that thing being talked about? Um, mm-hmm. Well, you know, the winners write the history. Yeah. You know, the, the winners are the ones that exactly. you know, maintain the quote-unquote culture. Uh, one of the things you talk about is the connection right. between the two twins, the two women twins, is through their dreams. Um. Do you dream yeah. about people and maybe they call you? Have you ever had that happen to you? Like you're thinking about someone and you dream and then they call you or something close to that? Yeah. So, you know, I was writing this and I'm I'm sort of like both characters. Some days I'm a skeptic. Some days I'm like such a believer in things. And mm-hmm. um, so I was writing and at some point I said, no way, like dreams. Yeah, they're all good, and they teach us about ourselves. But this is not this is not credible. No way. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> so something something that happened in my life um, with one of my friends. And my father calls me, and he lives in Ghana. He doesn't live here. And he has a dream in which my friend and I were on two different continents. We're in the same restaurant with him, and I upset the friend in his dream. What? So at that point, I said, you know what? <laughs> this is the sign I need. <laughs> it's just insane. It was so random. Like, he didn't even know that we'd been talking. No clue. But in his dream, we were having a misunderstanding. And I was just amazed. And when I'm writing, I'm learning to clue into these things a lot more. There's a lot of energy that is around me that's, you know, sort of pushing me to go on and encouraging my work as well. And maybe with the first two books, I, I wasn't as aware of them as I am now. But it's it really does feel like magic when you're when you're really clued into these things. Yeah. Yeah, I've had it, it was fantastic. I, it was just the thing I needed. But that's so cool because you know I've had dreams where I don't know I'm dreaming. Like you know I just have this dream, and then there's dreams <laughs> I've had where like I'm in the dream. Like I can see like it's like almost like I'm outside of myself in the dream, and I see things happen. I'm like I'm dreaming right. now. I'm not awake. Like I realize I'm dreaming. I'm not awake. Um, and um, the, our power of our brains um, and the spirits, like, you know, we haven't touched that. We, we don't even probably know the extent of how we can connect the two, so to speak. You know, um, uh, some people probably yeah. do, and they, they are there already, but, you know, a lot of people aren't, you know, um, there. But most so, of us know we know. Yeah, it's um, something that, you know, we have to, like, get over this technology. Um, so now I was talking to another guest about this, the idea that, you know, how advanced we are, but we can't solve basic human problems like hunger, you know, or like true. education, yeah. you know. Um, so what is yeah. all this technology good for? If just quickly go back basic. to the dream thing. Just I remember the quote from the Ashanti people, the Ashanti people in Ghana. So they say, like, when you're dreaming, if you're still traveling, that's what they believe, that when you're dreaming, traveling. So it's really interesting. Um, That's yeah, crazy. Every culture probably yeah. has something about that. Every culture probably has something about dreams right. and, and the, the effects of them and how they may use them to, to see your future or the past. Um, one of the other topics you deal with um, are women. You said these women represent you. Both of them are you. They both um, we think they're obvious. They have, they have the elements of me. Yes, elements. Not not completely. We don't want to. <laughs> we don't want people to think every single no. thing is. But <laughs> um, but what yeah, is interesting? <laughs> the twins. The twins. At first, they seem opposite, and even themselves as characters mm-hmm. talk about their opposites. But there's a point right. in the book which is really cool. I like how you did this. Both of them become almost revolutionaries, if you will. Yeah. Um, for different yeah. things, um, yeah. and that's so cool. And for a woman character, you know what I mean? It's not the guy character. This is a woman mm-hmm. character. So I think this is important yeah. for young women, you know, to, to read. Um, yeah. How did you think about that? Did you purposely, like, I'm going to um, make them both doing this, or did it just happen as you were writing? A lot of this book just happened. The way it just flowed out of me, a lot of things just happened. And then sometimes in rewriting, I would play up certain details or take out certain things. But um, I think that, yeah, Hasana, who's the, the more extroverted twin, 
I sort of knew that she would do something like that along the line because having been enslaved, she her spirit is in the beginning of the book sort of dampened, but I knew she, her fighting spirit would come back out. But then mm-hmm. Husayna, she has just came out of food. Because she's she's a quieter twin, she's an introvert, she's um yeah, very internal. And she even says, Oh, nobody would call me strong, nobody would use that word for me. And yeah. yes, like slowly um to show amazing resilience and, and um yeah, it just happened organically. Uh, but I think um also, with the women I see around me, there's a lot of that. Like even when times are really bad, I just see fighting spirits to the end. So, and I see that with my friends and my parents and my, you know, my family. Like just amazing um, drive to keep going no matter what. So, so let me I ask you this: them. How has being a mother changed the writing? Has that impacted it at all? It's changed my efficiency. Now it's like a few minutes, just sit down and do this because somebody's going to call you in a few seconds. Mommy, this is not working. <laughs> Mommy, fix this. <laughs> I have become very efficient. And maybe that's how I wrote that book so fast. And um, even with the confinement, um, while my husband and son were away, I, I wrote a lot. And then they came back and I said, no, like, I don't feel like writing. The world is too uncertain now. I just don't feel like doing this. But then at some point, I said, then write something light. And I managed to get a whole draft done, like, in the space of three months of confinement. But it involved, like, waking up early when my son was still sleeping and scribbling things down. If he went for a play date, because we lived in a place where it was, we didn't have as many cases, so he could still mm-hmm. do play dates. Happened, then I would scribble things down. So I've definitely become efficient with time, and um, I'm very yeah, I'm a stickler for it's it's five o'clock. It's time for me to go and get this done. Um, right. In terms of the material I'm working with, the same. So that hasn't changed much. But I'm thinking of maybe writing a children's book, like a a picture book, at some point. So okay, that is maybe a motherhood thing. I heard that you're going to try to write a romantic novel. Is that something I, I read somewhere? That's the one. That's the that's that's COVID book. <laughs> that's the, that's the COVID book. Okay, that's the COVID book. Yeah. That's the COVID book. Wow. I wanted to write something really, really light and fun because I, the thing about being confined here is I've been missing libraries and, and bookstores. And I know, like, on your side of the world, you can have books delivered to you, delivered to you. Um, which I haven't had over here, and I'm not a big fan of reading on my phone, so I've just been missing new books. I have books I haven't read here, but I just wanted something light, and I didn't have access to a library. So mm-hmm. I said, that's right, what do you want to do? So that's what I did. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, in terms of the religious aspect, there's um, this interesting mm-hmm. combination where the Slaves tried; to, they had to take on Christianity um, in order to, I guess, survive. But then they used their um, yes. ethnic um, religions with, like, Yemanya and, um, you know, Shango, and they 
kind of like blended mm-hmm. the two together. You want to talk to the audience a little bit about that, that, that blend that happens? Yeah, so this, this is very common in Brazil even today. You go there and you meet people who are Catholic um, in outward appearance, and they'll go to Mass and everything, but then they also go to um, Candomblé services, and Candomblé is an African religion, a mix of religions because you had different people coming from all over, but it relies heavily on Yoruba um, um, deities and um, and beliefs. Um, and there'll, there'll be slight differences, again, because people came from all over the African diaspora to Brazil. Um, so in the 1800s, this was a cover and in a way of keeping themselves safe because it was actually quite dangerous to practice these African religions. So they would profess to be in Christian. They would have, you know, Christian names. They would have the saints, but then they would have the analogs. So... Somebody like Yamanja would be a lady of, I can't remember the details right now, but there'd be analogs. All the saints would have their um, traditional African um, counterparts, and then that's the way the religion kept going. So I think it was only recently, and even now, there's still some pushback from um, from, from the Christian church. Like I think that evangelicals in Brazil are very opposed to this idea of African religions and like syncretism, mixing the two. Um, but at the same time, there are places like Bahia where the two religions have learned to coexist, and that's, that's the way it is. And people don't see it as, you know, a contradiction. Like they, that's the way it is. Like they go to Candomblé services, they go to mass. Um, but at the same time, same thing in West Africa. You come to West Africa and you see people blending their religions the same way. Like in my family half of them are Muslims and half of them are Christian, and yet the still traditional belief, the traditional healer, sometimes um, other people go do what, what we call juju or black magic, and yet they're Christian. So even on the west coast of Africa, this mix of religion has been there for a long time. So it's, it's, it's not surprising that that's the way it happened in, in Brazil as well. Yeah. Do you um, think religion, how do you, um, I mean, this is kind of personal, but in terms of raising your child, um, is that important to you, the yeah. type of religion he practices? Um, if he doesn't practice question. it? Yeah. So I, I grew up with, I, like I said, a multi-faith, in a multi-faith household. My dad is Muslim and my mom is Christian. And they sort of let us be. Uh, I went through phases as a teenager where I was sort of fervently Christian or wanted to be. Um mm-hmm. But I found myself struggling with beliefs. And over the years, I've sort of come to a comfortable sort of agnosticism. I'm fine with it. And so now with my child, um, I am applying sort of the same thing my parents did. But I want to take it a step further. I want him to learn it all. I want him to know about Islam. I want him to know about Kandamblay. I want him to know about Hinduism, Buddhism, all of it. And Mm. know that all these religions well, and then he can make up his mind. I I don't believe in the idea of one being born into a religion anymore. Like you can choose, you can learn, you can decide not to be religious, you can do your own research and say this mm-hmm. is what appeals to me. I like the tenets of Islam, and this is how I want to live my life with these beliefs, and I'll be fine with it. And at the end of the day, I want him to be, you know, a decent person, a decent human being, and I'd rather that than 
a religious crazy person. So <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what I am. <laughs> um, let me see. We have um, a person who's listening. I want to see if they have a question. You're calling from two one five two six six number. Um, let's see. Do you have a question for the author? Hello. No. Okay. Maybe they just want to listen. That's okay. Um, thank you for tuning okay. in. <laughs> um, so we're running out of time a little bit. We got a couple minutes left. So some quick questions. Um, what do you have to have in your pocketbook when you leave the house? Like if there's nothing else, you gotta have this, or you're gonna have to go back. Uh, I need to have. Oh my goodness, now I'm blanking out. Sunglasses because it's very sunny over here. Um, and my aunt says, um, it's, oh, I forget what she says. It's a funny thing. Something like, no both, no both talks to wear sunglasses, so to protect your eyes. Um, mm-hmm. So I need my sunglasses, lip gloss, lip gloss is important. I need a book. I usually always carry a book with me because I'm always on time and people are always late. So mm, this is the okay. only way I don't get crazy people. So I have a book and I can disappear. Um, and now with COVID, hand sanitizer. <laughs> but that's I know, awesome. right? That's My hands are so yeah, dry from yeah. that. My hands are sanitizer, constantly washing. You know, it's like, ah, yeah. but you have to do it, wiping down surfaces and everything. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Yeah. Who's your favorite author? Toni Morrison. Wow, Toni Morrison. There'll be so many. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, but Toni Morrison is up there. Wow. And I hear so many authors say, I write when I was 13 years old, same thing. You read her and I don't know if I got her at 13. I don't know if I understood all her ideas and themes, but it was mind-blowing. And she she just made me want to do the same thing. So, so um, yeah, have you me. traveled? Uh, where's your favorite place to go visit? Um, my favorite city is New York. I think my heart is in New York. Oh, um, well, you went to school, right? I you went to Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, I went to Columbia and then NYU. I made sure to come back. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I just love how it's just a microcosm of the world. Like, in, instead of traveling to every single country in the world, I can just go to New York and be in the world. Mm-hmm. So so there's that. Um, and then, I don't know, I like Panama a lot. Um, oh, I can hear my son waking up. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, well, we're going to let you go. But thank you so much for, you know, uh, being willing to do the interview. Uh, um, I'm going to be giving away some copies of your book, like I said, so the audience remember to follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You have a lovely day and good luck um, with this COVID thing, Aisha. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, we'll talk Thank to you, you later. Joy. Have a good one too. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you, everybody, again for tuning in. Um, again, we are still on this COVID thing. I don't know what state you're in or what country you're in. Everybody's dealing with it, washing your hands and covering your face and mouth. It's so so important. It has not gone away. I don't care what, you know, people say and say it's fake news. I know for me on the East Coast, it has not gone away. I know people who've had uh, losses. Um, some people who are doctors have lost, like, three of their friends uh, who are doctors. Um, another person lost four people that they knew. 
uh, at another company. It, it, it's serious, um, and it can happen fast, you know. Um, and also you can be walking around with no symptoms, and um, you could be what they call a carrier. So uh, please, you know, listen to what people are saying about covering your nose and mouth and also, you know, washing your hands and, and, and wiping down surfaces when you can. Don't get crazy. You know, I don't want you to be OCD, but, <laughs> you know, it, it's still something to think about. All right, you guys have a lovely uh, weekend. I'm doing a special show on Wednesday, July 8th um, with actor Keith David um, at, uh, what is that, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, you might have known him or seen him in Greenfield. He's the father figure of the you know, larger-than-life um, pastor there. So call in on Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, um, for, for that show. I'll talk to you later. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does, especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.